Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast. I'm your host, David Massover, and we have got a great guest today. Today, we are talking to Ken Lundeen, president of Ken Lundeen and Associates. Ken, welcome to the podcast. David, I have been looking forward to this for a moment. I am so glad that you've uh, invited me to come on and and talk a little shop with you as somebody that I follow on all social media. I'm excited. Let's let's get this thing rocking. You know, with that low level of enthusiasm, Ken, I'm not sure we're going to be able to have a good episode, but let's give it a try anyway. What do you say? (laughs) It's all right. We'll we'll figure it out. My enthusiasm may drop or wane. All right. Well, we'll we'll try to keep an eye on that. Now, here at the podcast, we have some traditional opening questions. So let me just throw them right at you, Ken. You've been in sales for an awfully long time. What what's the single best piece of sales advice you've ever received or heard? That's easy because it's the thing that everybody's goofing up. You have got to understand your buyers, the people you're selling to, your prospect or customers world better than they do. You have to know where the the hidden landmines are in the performance of their job. And so that's the number one thing. If, if not gonna, don't turn the podcast off now, but if you hear nothing else that I say that matters for the rest of this thing, that's the number one thing. Man, I, I simply couldn't agree with you more. I see a lot of people, they kind of go through the buyer persona or the ideal client profile exercise, kind of check a couple of boxes, have a couple of demographics, and they think they're done. But I think if you really want to have credibility with the person you're having a conversation with, you have to demonstrate that you understand what's going on in their world. Otherwise, you don't have credibility when you start offering a solution. That is fantastic advice. And it's more important, and I'll put a pin in in this one, it is more important than being technically proficient on your product. I used to serve as a, with a quick 30 seconds, I used to serve as a fractional VP of sales for our clients. And I did that for many years. I always had one client that I was client facing for. And I told every one of them, regardless of industry, that I could be in front of their prospects and clients in less than three weeks. Because the only thing I had to know was not the technical ramifications of their product. I had to know their prospects world and that I could do in under three weeks. I love that. That is a great example. And, and I think most people really get that wrong, not only when they're thinking about salespeople, but when they're thinking about hiring. I want to hire somebody who's got industry experience. Well, you know, that'll help with ramp up time for most people, but it's not the most important thing you ought to be looking for. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Well, so that's some really great, good advice. What's some of the worst sales advice you've ever heard? <laughs> Oh, geez. Cue cue the evil laugh. Here it comes, right? There's any quick fix to anything, Mm. right? You know, nowadays we see that. We all see the ads coming through. Now LinkedIn is the quick fix and you're a social media seller, right? That's the quick fix. Oh, that there's some other form of ad funnel that works better. Oh, that marketing should be providing you all your leads, I got to be honest with y'all, this is a sales is a profession. And unless you view it as a profession, that's something you have to endeavor to get better at in every aspect, sales leaders, management, CEOs, you will fail in one way or another. 
I love it. I don't know where I first heard it, but I, I was pretty young, but someone referred to sales as a practice, kind of like a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about those professionals, one of the things that they're always doing is continuing education. They're always trying to make themselves better, even when they're good. And I think to take this perspective on our craft is an awfully good place to start, as opposed to, you know, 10 steps to LinkedIn riches or whatever, you know, whatever ebook yeah. you just downloaded. Yeah, it's so ridiculous, right? Because let's assume we can argue whether it's Stephen Curry, LeBron James, or Michael Jordan, right? We can say who's the best player at all time, who's the GOAT. But you know what they all have in common? They all started playing basketball before they were strong enough to actually get the ball to go through the basket, to go through the hoop. And what did they do? They dribbled, right? They dribbled, they dribbled, they dribbled. Guess what they still start every practice with? They dribble, they dribble, they dribble. And in sales, what do we say? Oh, I prospected once. I'm good, right? Oh, I learned that a year and a half ago. I'm good. I mean, the best in the world continue to harness and get better at each and every individual skill that they're around. The top 10% of salespeople do it. The other 90 and sales managers, you should demand it. Yeah. And you know, with, with, with so many, we all use a lot of sports analogies, but I think with good reason. And with a lot of these top performers, part of their story is often they're the first on the practice field or the court or, or wherever it is that they're playing. They're spending more time watching film than most of the other players. They're constantly studying the playbook. If you want to be the best, guess what? It does take some work, but when you do the work, that's a really great path to, to getting closer and closer to being the best, at least the best you can be. And it's the reason so many sales teams are failing today. This remote work post-COVID, however long you think the pandemic's going to go on, Delta variant, elephant variant, and zebra variant, no matter how long you think that's going to go on, if you're in sales management and leadership, you've spent less time with your team helping them hone their skills. You've spent less time keeping them accountable. As a CEO, you've spent less control over that with your team. And as a salesperson, I'll tell you, I'm hearing the people. At three o'clock, your sales guy who used to make calls between three and five and used to set appointments is going to pick up his kids. There's a truth to the fact that this has made, this virtual environment has actually allowed salespeople to expose some of their worst habits. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Ken Lundin, calling it how it is. God bless you, man. Great to have you on the episode. Now, I, I just want to jump into something here because you know we, we did the good advice, bad advice thing. That was awesome. But the reason that I really wanted to have you on the podcast, well, I have, there were a lot of reasons, but one of the things I really wanted to get to with you is you've got this thing right there on your LinkedIn profile. I think it's in the description of your company. And, and the sentence reads something like, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm mis, misstating this, but it's something like the world of sales consulting is broken, which is a pretty bold and pretty compelling statement. So what's up with that? What do you mean by that? Well, picture yourself driving down the road and randomly all four of the t- all four tires on your car go flat at the exact same time. Now, assume that car is your business for a second, right? And you got lead gen in the back left and you got account development in the front right and you got training in the front left and you got process. So if I fix just one of those, it's still a pretty darn bumpy ride. Yet we have this quick fix social media mentality to how we want to fix things. And so we bring in a sales trainer for two days, which all the statistics say that doesn't work. Or we bring in a consultant 
And the consultant says, well, here's what you need to do business. And then that virtual, that virtual deck, remember the old day, they would have printed it for you, but now they get to save money on the printing. The old day, that virtual deck sits on the corner of the CEO or the VP of sales desk and never gets implemented. You have to be able to holistically look at a sales process, look at the way that people are trained and combine the idea of what's the process and how do we get the human behavior to best reflect it. But too often, we're just trying to fix the one thing, the little thing, the thing that feels the easiest to find. That is so natural. I, th- I only say it's natural because I run into it all the time. You know, what's the one thing we need to do? What's the one thing we need to fix? And the answer is, you know, that's just the wrong question, right? It, it's not one thing. It's a system. And the pieces in the system have to work together. Why do you think there's so much resistance to this holistic idea? And, and why do you think this, just give me the pill is, is so appealing? First, it's easier. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm a sales leader or a CEO, I can say, man, I brought in this great trainer. And trust me, by the way, I did this for four years. I got paid to go travel, spend two days in a place, train people. They paid me big, 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 big checks. Right. There are a lot of great sales trainers out there. This has nothing to do with the quality of their content. But you can say it. It gives you almost like, I think it's almost a plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Hey, we, I tried we, we, to we fix checked it. the box. Right. Yeah. It's the salespeople's fault. Tried to, you know, oh, yeah, we, we talked to this consultant and he told us to do these things. Yeah, you know, but we decided not to do it. He wasn't right. So I think there's that. And so those are the plausible deniabilities, A. And B is the real truth. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And it takes fortitude. And it takes the ability to drive behavior change. And it takes a knowledge base that for most VPs of sales doesn't exist unless you have a unicorn. Because most people don't know how to do all the different attributes associated with changing all four of those tires. So not to be the guy who's pointing fingers, but just from your experience, like wh- where do you think the source of this problem is? is? Is it the consultants are selling what's easy instead of maybe what's right? Is it, is it that sales leadership doesn't really know what they're looking for or doesn't want to look for anything that's too difficult? Where is the problem? I think it's all of the above because the truth is this industry, the industry you and I are in and so passionate about and love so dearly, we sell things in a way we would never teach a client to. We sell what we're going to do, not the problem it really solves, right? We would tell our clients, now we have to be outcome-based and focus on the things that your client wants to, that your prospect needs cures to. You know what we do? Hey, buy a sales training course. It's two days and I'll run some customization for you. Yeah, here's, right? my, ac- here, here's my acronym-based system that'll solve all yeah. your problems. First, we're at a complete disconnect. We don't follow our own advice and how we build and sell things because we're not worried about client outcomes. We're worried about what the client wants to buy. I guess, I mean, you can make a living. It's a huge industry, right? There's 70 billion in training spent. So that's one. Second is... Quite frankly, the lack of the lack of education at the founder level, the CE level, the executive level is very significant when it comes to what it takes to successfully build a sustainable, scalable, predictable sales organization. You know, especially if you talk about some of the smaller companies in the world or the companies who have turned into unicorns over time, all the venture capital money goes to technical founders. They have zero business and sales experience. And the only thing they're trying to figure out is: so when I was the actual salesperson. I did better than all these people I'm paying a lot more for that 
can't sell anything. Pretty curious. So I think that's what it is. You run into that a lot. The technical founder, the technical CEO who hires a bunch of salespeople and and can't figure out how come it was so easy for them when they never sold. I've heard the sentence so often, like, you know, I figured if I hired a real professional salesperson, they could do it much better than I. And that's not what happens. No, and it's because they don't have a process because they don't have a way to take the naturally embedded stuff that was in their head and transfer that knowledge. So the number one thing that's missing in that specific example is the knowledge transfer. What's the repeatable process to take a, to take a prospect from, oh, that's interesting, to, huh, I want to buy, right? And they miss, it's so funny too, because people like that are so bright, David, and they're, they have processes for everything else in their business. And then they treat sales like the black box, right? Pour a bunch of resources into it. You can't see what's happening behind the blackness. And then supposedly a sale pops out. It's just not the way to make predictable sales growth. Yep. So how do you, how do you start to turn that around? That's absolutely the right question, right? Rather than what do I fix? What's the, how does sales training plug me in? What's my easy fix? The way you have to work it is kind of like that we like to talk about is like micro learnings, essentially. Because in every one of those things, like when you implement a new process, there has to be some training on that new process. When you do the training on that process, there has to be some coaching on the new process. And when that happens, you also have to have the revenue operations where everything's systematically on it. And so you can see right there, I just talked about the four tires of the car. And so you have to be able to take a systematic approach. And sometimes that approach, if you say, okay, Ken, stop talking just random and give me some real advice. Sometimes that approach is we go left to right. Fix the sales process from, from the first thing to the second thing to the third thing. Do that, implement, train people on how to do it better. Like if we do a discovery call, we can say what we're looking for and all the attributes. We also got to show them how to do it. Well, sometimes that's not the right way. Say you're a company who wants to accelerate sales now. Maybe the best place to start is over there in account management. Because if you're in software, doubling and tripling your ARR through the people who have already bought from you is the path to exponential growth. So you got to choose where you're going to start, but you have to be aware that just the number one mistake, going back to the original question, they say, we're going to fix this. And then they put some process in a computer and they assume that the humans are going to execute on it flawlessly. Not going to happen. So if I'm a CEO or I'm a sales leader and I'm listening to this podcast and I don't have the benefit of being in the middle of a conversation with Ken Lundin right now, what should I be looking for in my organizations that are symptoms of a problem that's going to take a more complete and, and holistic approach than just kind of a one and done training or a coaching program or something like that. What are the symptoms I should be looking for so that I can say to myself, yeah, you know what? I really need to tackle the big picture here. Yeah. You finally asked me an easy question. So I oh, I'm that. sorry. You know, <laughs> no, it's here's what it comes down to. I, I literally, you can sit down and uh, they can sit down with you, David. And you, I bet you, you could, I bet you would agree with this. If not completely, then pretty darn much. And that is this, we can sit down with nothing else, but your pipeline in front of you. And I can tell you by looking at your pipeline, whether or not you have a holistic problem that you need to address. What I mean by that? Well, first thing is, do you have one? Second is, is it bloated, right? Third is what real data is in your pipeline. Fourth is what are your conversion rates from how many discovery calls to how many closes? And fifth is if I was the bank, and a hundred and you had your entire existence tied up in the debt you owed me. Would you be comfortable if I told you the following? 
hey, David, you have a business. I'm going to walk in right now. And I need you to be able to forecast the next three months of sales within a 10% range. If you do that, I'll forgive the $1 million in debt you owe me. If you can't, you've got to pay me today. And if you can't answer that question with yes, then you have a bigger problem that you need to address. You may have thought that was a, a tough question. I think that was a pretty solid answer. But I got to tell me, you had me at point number one. Do you have a pipeline? Uh, and it's funny because a lot of people think they do. But then you dig into it and, and you realize that what, what they think of as a pipeline isn't necessarily what, what somebody else might think of as a pipeline. Yeah. Yep. And I think the number one point that I like to kind of encapsulate what I just said and to go on to what you're talking about, the number one point is, you're a CEO sales leader because this happens with the publicly traded companies we work with as well as the small ones. If you cannot look at your pipeline and feel that you have an accurate forecast window of at least 60 days, then you have larger issues that need to be addressed with process, training, and behaviors. Now, you mentioned earlier something that I think is a very natural response to this kind of a situation for a CEO or a company leader or a founder who doesn't have a sales background. Usually the first thing they think of to solve this problem is, I'm just going to hire somebody who's a VP of sales. And then I'm not going to have to worry about this because they know what they're doing and they're going to fix this thing. And I can take them out to lunch once a week and they'll give me an update and everything's going to be wonderful. We've all seen that happen. We've all seen that it doesn't work. Why is that so tough? I mean, listen, it's, you know, if it's as easy as just look at the pipeline and, and, and you know, see what the condition of it is and dig into it a little bit, how, how come hiring a VP of sales isn't the right answer? And, and what kind of things don't work when, when a company leader decides that's how I'm going to try to fix this problem? Yeah, you pointed out, right? The average VP of sales is fired inside of 18 months. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fired, but turned over, right? 16, 17 months, depending on what the sales management association's, you know, polling for that year. And so we know that happens. We know in small companies, the first VP, good luck if you're there a year, right? That's just good luck to this director of sales, gets promoted to VP. Make sure that you have your second job lined up because you're going to get fired. So first, why do people keep doing that? Because when you don't understand a problem, you're looking for a solution to remove the problem from your plate so that from a human behavior perspective, you can say it's David's fault, not mine. Damn it, I hired David to do this. David didn't do it. Now we're behind nine months. Just dig deep, folks. I'm telling you, it's truth. There's some reality to that. So that's the first thing. So we continue to do that. Second is we hire wrong for the wrong stage. You know, a specific type of VP is needed for zero to zero to two million. Another type might be needed for two to 10, 10 to 50, 50 and above, et cetera. And based on the state of your current organization. So you want to do something different? Get somebody who will really invest themselves in your interview process and say, hey, here's the deal. We're going to do something different. I like you and I think that I would want to hire you but there's a final test and I'm going to pay you for it. I'm going to give you 30 days. I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars. And I want you to come in and do a real-time assessment of my organization, what you think the changes are and what that roadmap would look like. Because I promise you the 10, 15,000 bucks that you would spend in that moment will save you the 150,000 that you're going to spend incorrectly on the wrong hire. 
That's a pretty righteous piece of advice. And, and I think it goes back to the point you made earlier about how unless you find a unicorn, it's pretty rare to find somebody who's got enough, enough width in their perspective to really be able to, to get a grasp on things. I remember reading once, uh, this was a long time ago, but I remember reading once, must have been decades ago, that it should take an executive about six months just to really get the lay of the land. Yeah, Man, I don't know about the other departments in the company, but in sales, you generally don't get that kind of luxury. Yeah. My last W-2, they said, they said, take 90 days. We don't expect any major changes in 90 days. Awesome. I can Thanks, it out. man. Right? They're like, cool. <laughs> Week two, I walk into a leadership meeting. They're like, why aren't you doing anything? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've heard that too, that it, it's that way. And I think ultimately... It's the, it's just the lack of specificity. Like, think about it this way for, you know, I I didn't make it up. There's smart goals as an example and take that further though. And talk about the lack of accountability in corporate America today. And so if we haven't set, you know, I talk oftentimes about, we have to set accountability so people know what a good day looks like. And so that's true of any position. And so if we haven't, you know, if you picture a bowling alley and if you've got kids, anyone's got kids who's listening they pop, you have these gutter guards pop up. I cheat and use them because I'm 50 and I don't want to throw a gutter ball because I'm a competitor and because I cheat. But they pop up so you can't throw a gutter ball, right? Your role as a manager or leader is to put the guardrails on the performance of your people. And we know in in that case, right, hitting the pins is the actual goal. Too often, we're way, way too abstract about what we're asking people to do and the timelines we're asking to do them in. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the lack of communication and the tension comes from my expectations being different from yours. And so as leaders, you've got to do a better job with guardrails, set accountability, and make sure that you're a clear communicator on what the expectations are of any given role. I read a book some time ago called First Break All the Rules. Can't remember the name of the author, but he used to work for the Gallup organization We looked at 40,000 different employee surveys and kind of crunched the data. And they found that the one thing that employees want more than anything else, it's not more money, it's not more vacation time, it's clear expectations, not something they're getting enough of. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that though? Because that also, back in the day, because I know the book you're talking about. So let me put you on the spot. Uh Uh-oh. David. So I know the book you're talking about. You know, it's interesting though, that back in the day, they wanted clear expectations. Yes, I still think that matters ultimately, but there was also something else going on then that that was going to help them feel better and that was going to create a better culture. So the thing that I find interesting about that and what the question I'm going to ask you is this, there's new studies out now with this work from home environment where employees are saying, we don't care about the culture, we want to stay at home. So I wonder you know, whether or not, like in your experience, what you're seeing from that, how are cultures being impacted by that idea of, oh, we need clear communication, but at the same time, the employees kind of want to run their own world. Do you think that environment has changed since you last read that book? No. And I don't think it's about clear communication because I think clear communication and clear expectations are two very different things. From my experience, what I've seen during the pandemic, not the pandemic, work from home, not work from home, what, what really makes a difference in a sales organization is a culture of accountability. 
And you can't have a culture of accountability without expectations. If you have a culture of accountability and you supplement that with a culture where management has, whoever, whoever salespeople are reporting to has the bandwidth and the capability to not only hold them accountable, but to help them get better. Then I think employees are, or salespeople are really happy to work in that kind of an environment. I know what's expected of me. I know my boss is going to try to help me. If I don't step up and do my thing, I know what's going to happen to me. But if I'm making an effort and I'm getting better, then things are generally pretty good. And anyone who's had more than a couple of sales jobs generally recognizes that doesn't happen very often. And in my experience, when you have good salespeople in that environment, they're going to stick around and they're going to do their thing more or less, whether they're from home or not. It's not about communications. It's about expectations. It's about accountability and it's about support. I'm not sure if that's the kind of answer you were looking for, but that's what I've seen in, in my practice. No, that's great because I asked the question very badly and you still found a way to answer it. So it was awesome. <laughs> you know, you get a podcast host onto your podcast and you got to expect that kind of thing. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I think what's interesting is, let me ask you one more question then. Oh man, so hold, on a, minute, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. <laughs> Ready? Here it is. All right, man. Tear me up. Do you think in that environment where you got to provide clear expectations, if you provide or accountability, if you provide accountability, people know what's happening. Good people stay. What happens if you don't get rid of the bad people? It's what's it's the over. inverse of that? It's Do over. you think Go it's ahead. over? Absolutely. I remember in my very first sales management job, there was somebody who just wasn't doing their work. And they were flaunting it. And and it was just bringing everybody down. This is the first time as a manager when I got really disciplined about accountability. And it wasn't with the express purpose of having this person leave. It was with the express purpose that I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew what was expected of them. And if you're not doing the things that are expected of you, then you should know what to expect as a result of that. As it turned out, this person left because that culture of accountability wasn't really compatible with the way that they wanted to do their work. So I was thrilled. That was a, that was a formative lesson for me as a, as a young sales professional, in, in this case, as a manager. Yeah. But man, if you're... I mean, listen, it's just like with your dog and your kids and, and any, or any other analogy you want to bring up. If you're laying down the law and you're not following through on it, I think what you can expect should be pretty obvious and not very good. Yeah. And I think the, I think what I would say to really punch a, just an apps punch that home is this. If you think that you're, everybody uses the word culture. And I think it's basically a bogus term that doesn't mean anything. And good culture is actually irrelevant because nobody knows what that is. But if you're a company that says we, yeah, we are trying to build a great culture yet you don't have accountability and underperformers in any department are allowed to stay, I think you need to go back and question whether or not you really care about culture because those underperformers, everybody in your organization knows they're underperformers and what they're getting away with. And you'll lose good people. Yeah. And they know that you are allowing this to happen. And I think your your best people, at least your better people, it feels bad. And I think if, if you just yeah. put yourself into that situation, you, you can really feel that. I'm out there doing my thing. I'm, I'm doing what the company wants me to do. I'm hitting results. 
I'm busting my butt. And those guys over there aren't. And that also seems to be okay. You can define company culture a lot of different ways, but however you define it, that's not going to get you to a good one. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Dude, this has been an awesome episode. I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and your perspective. I, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff, but you know, if you were me and what's the one question that I probably should have asked you around all of this stuff that I didn't? Yeah, that's always a great question to try to figure out where what's the gap that we missed. And so I think probably the number one question that I would have asked would have been as related to a CEO, what is their role in creating this environment for sales to be successful? And so I guess, would you like me to answer it real quick? Is that the point of it? I think that was a great question. So Ken, (laughs) where does a CEO fit in? (laughs) Yeah, I'd love it if you answered that. That'd be great. Yeah, it's funny. I have this kind of jaded view of the world. And I think ultimately that there there are generally three to four things that any leader, department, employee, you know, can say are the majority of the reason they exist in their role. There are three to four things that really, really move the needle and there aren't any more. And when you tell me there's 20, I'm going to tell you it's because you actually don't know what you're supposed to be doing. And then go back and listen to the last six minutes when we talked about accountability. So (laughs) that's first. So I will say from a CEO perspective, you cannot go hands off on sales. Because you are the one who sets the tone. Because if you're a fast-growing company, and we've had plenty of them, one of the things that happens when the CEO takes a hands-off approach, even when sales is being successful and they're trying to just celebrate it, is that you create a divide between sales and service. Because sales says, yeah, another deal. And service goes, great, more work. And you may not be that extreme, but I think as a CEO... There's two things to that. One is you are the corporate cheerleader that tells the entire organization we are a growth organization. So that's first. Second, back to what we said about fixing the problem, it is your job to figure out how to align your sales leadership and your sales team on the three to four things that matter for them and what metrics indicate their level of success. And if you can't clearly articulate to them those three to four things and what metrics matter, then you are not involved enough in your sales team and you must own the lack of results. Well, I, I really feel sorry for anyone who, who listened to that one thing you said at the beginning and dropped off because that, that was a serious big bomb of wisdom right there, Ken. Really, really great stuff. If people want to reach out to you, if people want to find you somewhere, where's the best place to look for you? Yeah, the two things, right? I'm sure they'll be in the show notes, kenlundin.com. It's L-U-N-D-I-N.com because you can get to our calendar that way if you'd like. Second thing is this, just come on LinkedIn. David and I are connected on LinkedIn. You can see that we're connected there. Drop me an email though when you connect and say, hey, listen to you on David's podcast. Um, And we always say, look, we're not going to sell you anything, but if you want to talk for 20 minutes because you think some of these problems are happening in your organization and you want a purely outsider's observation of it, you know, we'd love to talk to you. And I promise you, we don't know you, so we won't try to sell you anything. <laughs> well, I will absolutely put all of that into the episode notes. Ken Lundeen, thank you again for sharing your time with us. We really appreciate it. You're awesome, David. Thanks, brother. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. 
If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.